Crafted. We are the College Ministry of Faith Bible Church. And if you're new with us, my name is Sean, and we're so thankful that you came tonight. It's a little bit of a different night, and I'll explain that in a second. First of all, the Santa Anas are blowing. Do you guys know what those are? It's the wind. It usually doesn't get this far south, but it's here, and you're tucked away from it, and I'm not going to be able to do this. So forget the microphone. I'm just going to, I will talk loud enough, and you just tell me in the very back, what is your name? Sarah, Sarah, if you can't hear me, just go, what? Just yell it out. Okay, perfect. If you're new with us like Sarah, we are, we're not going to call anybody else out except for her by name. But if you're new with us, thank you for coming. Uh, we exist to help college students know Jesus Christ. It's what we do. It's why we meet. It's our purpose. And we hope to help you in that process as well. Now, like I said, tonight's a little different night because this is our senior night. And like Joseph said at the beginning, we're welcoming our high school seniors into the college ministry. We do that at the beginning of this semester to help with the transition in because as many of you know that have gone through that transition in the past, it's not that easy, is it? Getting out of high school, getting into college, figuring out job, life situation, school, and all the changes, sometimes you can get lost along the way. So we are working hard um, to, to get our seniors. We got, I think, nine of them here tonight, and there's a bunch more down with COVID right now. So hopefully next week we'll have more. But in, we're happy that you're here. We want you all to get connected. And uh, if it is your first time, this is a community full of broken people. We are not perfect. Uh, we are just, in some cases, hanging on by a thread. But we are in community together, pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ, seeking to come under his word, to obey and honor him in all that we do. And we are working together to become more like Christ and to know him better. So if you're looking for a place to connect or for a family or for just some friends, this is a great place to do that all in the name of Christ. Uh, we've got a lot of things that we do. We have our Friday nights right here. Uh, we meet on Tuesday and Wednesday night. We call it Radix. They're just midweek Bible studies that meet in houses just down the street. They're a little smaller and they're more Bible study oriented where it's small group conversation and you get more input. Whereas tonight you're going to sit and listen to me and then hang out after. We have a library in the garage. It's got almost a thousand books that you can check out later when we're done. We've got a coffee ministry that you're going to learn about tonight, which is just amazing. And uh, we'd go to camps, we do events, all sorts of fun stuff here. So again, thank you for coming. I haven't met a lot of you. Uh, I've met almost all of you. But for those of you who are new, I would love to say at least come say hi to me before the night's over. And uh, we would love for you to be here, get your picture taken, get it on the wall in the garage, uh, and then be back with us. In the meantime, I have to thank the professor who stepped in last week to preach. Professor Ike, there he is back there. There you go. Yep. Uh, we found out last week, and I didn't notice that his heart was broken years ago, and that he replaced that broken heart with a love for the Greek and Hebrew language. So I don't exactly know how that works, but we are in the middle of a study that we've called entitled Origins. And we've been walking through the book of Genesis last semester and this semester. And Chris took us into the patriarchs last week. We looked at Genesis 12, which is when God calls Abraham. And uh, we'll, we will continue that study next week. But tonight we're taking a break. And I want to go a different direction this evening, away from Genesis. And I wanted to do a little bit of a, of a family time. So settle down. I'm going to try not to preach too long tonight, but I really want to ask one specific question and have a chance, as it were, as a family to look in the mirror and do some personal inventory and evaluation of our lives. I want to evaluate the vitality 
of your relationship and my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ right now this week? If I ask you the question, how do you define the main aim, the central goal, or the priority of the Christian life? Don't answer out loud. I want you to think of the answer. How do you define what is the main priority? Because there's a lot of things, right? There's a Bible study. There's church. um, There's Bible reading. There's all sorts of books and things you can listen to, stuff to do. What is so central, though, that it stands above everything else in the Christian life? Got your answer? Let me give you what Jesus said. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. he said it this way, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. That is to say, if you answered anything outside of the greatest priority is to love Jesus Christ, If you've got in your mind that Christianity is a religion of doing things, or better said, not doing the fun things, then you've missed it. Christianity is a relationship whereby we come to love and adore the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 10, 37, Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Being a Christian means that you love Jesus Christ by definition. In John 21, Jesus asked this question to Peter. After Peter had denied him three times, he came to him after he resurrected on the seashore and he said the same question three times in a row. Peter, do you, what is it? Do you love me? And I want to say it this way. Take Peter's name out of there and put your name in there. Put Jonah in there, Noah in there, Brendan in there. Do you love me, Jesus says to you tonight. The question goes right to the jugular. And it's a hard one to answer. I'm not talking about a commitment that you made when you were in junior high or something that you said at a camp one year. I'm not talking about um, something in the past. This is a question. Jesus said it to Peter, and he says it to you. Do you love me right now? In this moment, on this Friday night, here in this windy city. And like I said, it's a tough one to answer. Because our love for the Lord, it's just not constant, is it? It ebbs and it flows based on our circumstances, based on our emotions, based on our station of life. Work gets tough. Anybody have a brutal work week this week? Just come on, this is yes, put it up. Yeah, just like, I don't ever wanna go to work again. And then you realize, but I have to go back tomorrow all day and for the rest of my life. Who's got a midterm coming up already? Anybody? Yeah, they're coming even though school just got going. Papers are due. There's drama in the family. Don't raise your hand. Raise your hand, though, if you just got over COVID. Anybody? I'm there. We, this group right here, we're the safest to be around, okay? Uh, and then raise your hand if you have COVID right now. It's probably about half of you. You just don't know it yet. But there are all sorts of trials out there. Let me say it differently. There are all sorts of trials out there. And then on top of that, there's the internal trial and the struggle 
in here when we deal with, with our own sin, right? And so the consistency of loving Jesus Christ, it waxes and it wanes at time. But by definition, all Christians love him. But all Christians do not love him fully and at all times. Fair? We understand that. And we've all been through that. But tonight, we're going to spend some time, like I said, looking in the mirror and doing spiritual inventory. And to do so, I could just ask you a, a list of questions. How's your time in the Word? How's your prayer life? Have you shared your faith? You going to church every week? Are you meeting with somebody for discipleship? Are you serving the Lord somewhere? We could go down that type of a list and, and try to figure it out there. Those are good indicators. But you know what? They all kind of work like concentric circles. You know, are you, are you serving? Are you in the church? Are you fellowshipping? Are you praying? Are you reading your Bible? But it all comes down to the central ring that is most significant, which is very simply, do you love Jesus Christ? Because when this is off, everything else looks the same, but it's not right. And you know it's not right. And we're going to get into that here. And so, but my question to you tonight is, do you, I'm asking one more time, love Jesus Christ with all of your heart, listen, right now. Is he your greatest passion? Is he your highest treasure? If you're struggling to answer it, welcome to the club. We're not the first Christians to struggle with our love for Christ. There was a church in the New Testament that was having a hard time with this as well. They had drifted, they had grown a bit cold, and the instruction that's given to them in the New Testament, it, it is helpful, it is direct, and it applies right into our lives tonight. So if you would have, if you haven't guessed this, go ahead and open your Bibles to Revelation chapter two. Revelation chapter two. And we're gonna walk through just seven verses tonight that are gonna expose our heart, give us a prescription, and then, and then help us with the solution. Now, while you're turning there, this is the, the, a letter that was written to a church that was in the city of Ephesus. And Revelation was a book written by the Apostle John. Now, now catch this. This doesn't really matter, but it matters to me. When you open your Bible right to the middle, what book do you land in? The book of? Psalms, Psalms plural. But if I said open to the 23rd Psalm, singular, they're individual. The book is plural. It's the Psalms gathered. Individual there, it is the, the Psalm 23. When I say open to the book of Revelation, I want you to know it is singular. It is not the book of Revelations. Because in the first chapter and in, the, in verse 1, it says it is the revelation singular of Jesus Christ. All right, so I don't know if you need to write that down, but can you please remember it? And if not, just, just say to me, I don't remember. But, but the, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Chapters 3 through 23, we start at the beginning. Chapter 1 is an introduction chapter that includes a vision of the resurrected Christ. Chapters 2 and 3 are seven letters, letters like you'd write to a friend, seven letters written by Jesus to seven individual churches in Asia Minor. Chapters 4 through 22 are all looking to the future, all right? And there's a lot of things that are difficult to interpret about Revelation. This is not, okay, because it's a very real letter written to a very real church that had very real problems in their love life with Jesus Christ. Now let me go ahead and read the text and then we'll break it down. Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel 
of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. Now verse four, here comes the central issue. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. I'm gonna stop for just a second before I finish. That is you have abandoned or forsaken or let go of the primacy of the intimacy of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's just a shadow of what it once was. And I gotta ask again, does that define you? Dull, apathetic, lazy, even calloused, hard-hearted, hard to sing, emotions aren't there, desire is missing, Christianity is a chore, uh, it's boring, going through the motions. The outside's the same, it all looks good, you smile, you dress up, you carry your Bible, you take notes, but there's no fire inside. Jesus has a word for you, and he's got a word for me tonight. Verse four, I have this against you, the Lord Jesus Christ says, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's the word of the Lord. And these are instructions to a church 2,000 years ago, and they're instructions to us tonight. And you might say to me, Sean, I don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. My first time here, or maybe I've been going to church my whole life, I don't really care, I'm just here. You're just going through the motions, and you're not actually a Christian. I, I hope that tonight there's a defining line for you about what you stand for and what you love. This is not about some commitment, like I said, that you made five years ago. This is not about growing up in a Christian home and being part of a good church. This is about an intimacy with Christ in your own heart and life that you are driving to know him. There's nothing else that matters to you more than your Lord and your Savior. I'd like to challenge you, Christian, to allow the Lord to cut into your very soul tonight and to remove the calluses and restore that fire. And you came tonight just kind of going through it, tough week at work, drove in, I'm here, I plopped my rear end in the chair, good, I can just kind of tune this in or out. No, the Lord's got more for you. He wants you to bleed tonight. He wants to freshen that wound and pull off that callous scar and get your attention once more. And it's my prayer that he does that. I titled this message, Hitting the Reset Button. And for some tonight, certainly, you need to hit that button. Now, to give some structure for the message, I just divide it into four points walking through the text. And it's just four words. The word priority, the word motivation, the word remedy, and the word reward. Now, let's look at each of these in order. The first one is the word priority. Look back in verse 1. And let me back us into this text. So the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, now, as I said, this author is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse one, it describes him 
as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, we don't have time to dive into this, but if you go back to chapter one, as I mentioned, there was a vision of Christ resurrected, and this was part of that vision. The seven stands, uh, seven, excuse me, uh, stars and the seven lampstands are a reference to that vision. And just stay with me for a minute. It was a reference to the church. The seven stars were a reference to the leadership or the pastors of the church. The seven lampstands are a reference to the church. And in there, it says that Jesus is walking among the seven lampstands. He's trimming the wicks. He's making sure they're okay. What's the point? Jesus Christ cares about his church. He is the Lord of his church. He is involved. He is concerned. It is his special possession. It's what he died for and it's what he lives for now. And so Jesus steps in in these seven letters. This is the first one. And he gives instruction to those seven churches. Okay? Now, think about this for a minute because I put the word priority there as the first point. If you're Jesus Christ and you're coming down to talk to the church and say, we got to fix some problems in the church. There's a lot of problems in the church today. Would you agree? You look around at different churches, even in your own church, there are issues. I got a, um, a video forwarded to me from KK today, which it was a, a pastor in Nebraska, Tennessee, somewhere, somewhere over there in that area where you don't really know where it is on the map. Am I right? Wait, I'm sorry. Are you from Nebraska? Forgive me if I, you are. You're not. Okay. All right. Anyway, it doesn't matter. This, this was a video of a guy trying to illustrate some point that I still don't understand and he literally spit into his hand like a loogie and then pasted it on a guy's face that was up there to try to illustrate this guy had a beard and there's just saliva dripping down his face okay there are problems in the church <laughs> there's a lot of problems in the church Jesus could have gone after a lot of different issues but I want you to notice first message to the first church. He doesn't begin with a theological issue where they're off. He doesn't go after um, some doctrinal thing that needs to be addressed. He goes instead right to the main tenet, right to the central piece, right to the core of the faith. And he begins with priority. I'll say it again. It is love for Christ. Nearness to the heart of Jesus. In Exodus 34, it says that God's name is jealous. His name is jealous. I love that. And he will share his glory with no one. And he wants your heart to be fully his. What's the priority? The priority at the beginning of his message is for the church to know and to love Christ. Okay, that brings me to number two. Second word is the word motivation or just motive. Motive is everything, is it not? And Jesus is gonna expose the motive of our heart with what follows in the text. And, but when you think about your relationship with Christ, if I ask you to describe it, more than likely what comes to mind, think about it, what comes to mind is a lot of times what we are doing for him. What we do every day, right? how much we serve, how often we go to church, how much we read our Bibles, whether we share our faith. Do I have a Christian bumper sticker on my car? Do you? Let's just take that off, okay? I'm just kidding. You can keep it if you want to. But no, take it off. Um, because what if you cut somebody off? Right? Or you get a ticket. I don't know. Anyway, but if it's a cool sticker, you can keep it. That has nothing to do with my message. It's easy for us 
to get wrapped up in the external expressions of our religion. What we do, how hard we work, doing the right things, doing the right things the right way. And that was the church at Ephesus. Again, this is a real church, real body. Jesus is, they're reading this out loud to the church where they sit. They were a good church. Paul planted the church. Then it went to Timothy, the next pastor. And then it went to the apostle John after that. This is a good church, okay? Um, Solid doctrine, really solid church. And Jesus encourages them in verse three. And I wanna break this encouragement into four sections. I think you'll see yourself A lot of you will in these encouragements. First, Jesus says you are faithful. Look look at verse two. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. Right there in verse two. He knows his church. I know your deeds. Jesus can look right into your heart and know exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it. What does he know? He knows, it says their deeds, toil, perseverance. I know what you've done. I know how hard you've worked, that you've gone to the point of exhaustion. Um, That was used of a a soldier in battle at times. Strenuous wrestling of an athlete. Some of you have toiled. I've watched you. I've toiled alongside of you. Uh, This is to give everything. And the best description of this for us in our group is probably if you've ever been to camp and served at a high school or a junior high camp or even one of our college camps. You're just giving everything all the time until there's nothing left. We just had our high school and junior high winter camp last weekend, and they literally had to cancel junior high on Wednesday night because the entire staff had COVID that they got from camp, right? You just go and you give until there's nothing left. Or if you've been on a short-term missions team, anybody here just curious, been out of the country doing short-term missions, hands up. Yeah, a good portion of you, you know what this is like. You go and you just squeeze everything out until there's nothing left. That's what they were doing. They were spending themselves Maybe you've done this preparing a lesson or making coffee or um, being in children's ministry, serving to the point of exhaustion. You know that pain? These people did. And Jesus says, I know that you did. He uses that word perseverance next. That's to remain under, um, to, to sit under hardship, to accept it, even when you're suffering and going through loss and to hold on and endure. In summary, they were faithful. And I bet people in this room, I know you, are faithful. And Jesus says, I commend that. Then he says this, you are also holy. Look at verse 2. He says, you cannot tolerate evil men. And by the way, I apologize. I know I'm yelling. All right? It's just to get to the back. So if you feel like I'm just yelling, 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 I know what I'm doing and it just is tough. So Noah was giving me a dirty look. But it's for, it's for Sarah. You got Sarah? We okay? Okay, good. All right. Verse two, you cannot tolerate evil men. These, these people had a high and holy standard. They were sensitive to sin. When somebody came in that was dirty, wrong, making jokes, looking lewdly at people, whatever, hey, let's go do this or let's go do that, it was like no chance. We, we, don't, we stay away from those things. We cannot tolerate that type of wickedness. Look down at verse six. It says, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I'm so sorry. Yeah, you know it's coming. <laughs> Poor Nikolai. <laughs> Nikolai's back there, you guys. He's right here. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. That's not true. Um, Jesus says, which I also hate. And but just so you know, these are people trying to infiltrate the church in Ephesus and mix immorality and Christianity. And Jesus says, no, you've blocked them and you've held them out. Good job. 
Many of you here are in the war against sin. A dead fish just floats downstream, right? It is a live fish that fights the current, not always perfectly, sometimes getting setbacks, but pushing upstream against the current. It's hard, it's difficult, it's work. That's the pursuit of holiness. The Bible calls that sanctification, or we call it sanctification. You're in that war, aren't you? A lot of you. Turning from the things of this world, choosing Christ. Hey, listen, praise God. Praise God. And Jesus says, I commend you for that. Then he says, thirdly, not only are you faithful, not only are you holy, but you know your Bible. You know your Bible. Look at verse 2. It says, you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. Let me help you with what's happening here. They recognized false teachers, and they tested them. Okay? Uh, How do you know this? How do you know who's a false teacher? How do you know how to test people? There's only one way. You have to first know what? You got to know the Word of God. You got to be in in your Bible. You got to know the text. They knew the apostles' teaching. They had sound doctrine. They had been well trained and they had drawn very strict biblical lines. Oh, I think this is FBC. That's Faith Bible Church. If you're new, that's our church. Solid doctrine, high walls with guards at every post. We have studied the word. We are well-versed in the scripture. We're able in 1 Peter 3.15 to give an account of the hope that is in us. And we can defend it. And many of you are deep and you know your Bibles. And Jesus would say, I I commend you. You're faithful, you're holy, and you know your word. And fourthly, he says, you have perseverance. Verse 3, he says, and you have perseverance, you have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. These people were spiritual marathoners. For all these years, at least 40 at this point, they fought the battle, stayed true, and stayed in it for his namesake, the text says. I love that. I love that. For his namesake, for Christ. It's like when they yell going to battle for king and country, this is it. We do it for his namesake. We're in the battle and we're enduring under those trials for him. Verse 3 and you haven't grown weary. And Jesus commends them for that. You know, that's how they make diamonds, right? You start with an ordinary lump of coal. You put it under tremendous pressure, under very high temperatures for an extended period of time. And what happens? The, the, the pressure and the heat rearrange the carbon molecules. Okay, we can do the, anybody in here a chemistry buff? He, this guy, he's an almost doctor. Right? Masters from USC. But you're wearing a UCLA, oh, USD sweatshirt. Okay, never mind. All right, anyway, he's very smart. That doesn't matter. What matters right now is that this piece of coal, lump, lump of coal, is being turned into a diamond by the high pressure and the heat. And that's what happens in the life of a believer. You are going through trials. You're under intense scrutiny, intense heat, and it brings you closer to maturity. As you grow, you go from a piece of coal into a diamond. You show me a mature believer and I'll show you someone that has endured the fire of trial. Bottom line, if I summarize all of this under the motive category, you're doing everything right. You're in it. You're at a good church. You're upholding the word of God. You're pursuing holiness. You're persevering. Jesus commends them. He encourages them. But then he says, but there's something missing. It doesn't look any different on the outside, but certainly on the inside, he knows your heart. 
and he knows your motive and he searches and seeks out that very issue. Look back at verse four again. He says, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. They had drifted, they had wandered, they had allowed indifference and maybe even coldness to creep in. What is the first love? What is the first love? It, it is that thing or person that is raised above all others in your heart, that which you love and you prize more than anything else. And for us, we're kind of like Doug in the movie Up, where it's like, squirrel, that's what I love right now. Squirrel, I love that. A squirrel, right? Have you ever, you guys haven't seen that movie? <laughs> I know, at the beginning is so sad. Do you know that Disney, they build their movies this way. They get you in the intro. Go all the way back to Bambi. What happens at the very beginning of Bambi? Tragic. It's tragic. What happens? Her, Bambi, is Bambi a her or a him? A him with a name like Bambi? Really? Okay. Bambi dies. Bambi's mom dies. Okay. Go to the movie Up. What happens? She dies. What about Finding Nemo? The wife dies. Lion King. Go on and on and on. What happens in Lion King? Mufasa. That's not the beginning, though. Okay, you get the picture. Where am I? Where do we go? Right here it says you had drifted and wandered a bit. I think that's me. A first love. A first love is something that holds you that's more important than anything else in your life. You don't get distracted like Doug did. You stay focused, and you're always there more than anything. But, it, but watch, watch, watch. It's not seeing your externals. It's not seen in what you wear, how big of a Bible you carry around, or even how good your notes are, right? It, it, it's not that. The same service, the same effort, the same production. It's just that your heart's not connected. And if you're wondering why it's become mechanical, why it's now duty instead of delight, and why it's obligations and tasks instead of joy, it's because your heart's not there. It's because you don't love Jesus Christ. The moment that serving, reading, prayer, fellowship becomes a chore, you know something's wrong. And you can start out here and go, I gotta, I gotta go to church more. Yeah, I really gotta start going back on Sundays. Oh yeah, I really gotta start reading my Bible. Oh yeah, I really gotta start praying again. Ultimately, if you keep drilling down, you're coming down to that center ring, which is there's something wrong with your love relationship with Jesus Christ. Mark it. 100 out of 100 times, that's where the issue is. When we do premarital, my wife Tracy and I, always, 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 every session we say the same thing. We're not very smart, which is true. Um, we don't know a whole lot of things in terms of really ex you know, flowery explanations on marriage. I know one thing for certain. A good marriage has a man who loves Christ more than anything else and a woman who loves Christ more than anything else. You put that together and that's gonna be successful, period. You want the key to a good marriage? There it is. Love Christ with all your heart. It can be said about any area or walk of life. So the question though is right now, does that intimacy and fire define your relationship with Christ? Or have you let your first love go? And there's something else in the middle, some new love, some competing love, something else that consumes. If your Christian walk is automated and like a robot, you're just doing the same stuff and you've traded the fire for the coldness, fire of love for the coldness of obligation, 
betrayed the passion of relationship for the burden of responsibility and religion, it's not good. Your motive is wrong. So where is your love tonight? What has your heart right now? Is Christ more precious to you than anything or anyone else? Can you say with the hymn writer, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. And then the chorus, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And Jesus is calling to you tonight. He knows your heart. He knows everything about you. He knows your service and your efforts. And he cuts like a surgeon all the way through your heart into your soul to reveal what's truly inside. And he's asking this week, this day, in this moment, am I your first love? Do you love me? That doesn't define the super Christian. It defines the average Christian, love for Christ. Where does it find you tonight? Jesus starts with a priority. This is the number one. He moves on to the motive. Gotta love Christ. Then thirdly, now that he's diagnosed the problem, he moves on to the remedy. The remedy, we see it in verse five. The solution to your drifting or hard-hearted or apathetic heart is right there in verse five. Three simple steps. Look at your Bibles. He says, therefore, on the basis of what I just said, you need to do these three things. Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. We say it this way. Remember, repent, and return. Okay? First he says, remember. Look at, look at five again. Remember from where you have fallen. Oh, we forget. We drift and get comfortable and no longer remember the chains that bound us in sin that were literally dragging us to hell. We don't remember the prison that Christ rescued us from, setting us free from the, setting us free from the slavery and domination of sin and giving us freedom and hope. You know what's interesting? The Ephesians had forgotten. You may not know this story, but they were saved. This is the church at Ephesus, and they were saved um, uh, out of a people there who worshipped Diana, one of the Greek goddesses. One of the seven ancient wonders of the seven wonders of the ancient world, excuse me, was the the temple devoted to her at Ephesus, bigger than a football field. Okay, this thing was sixty feet tall a place that was filled with prostitutes and other sexual immorality so that you could go have a sexual experience that would come together with a spiritual experience that you could get access to a higher power. That's what they believed. They were lost. They were filled with lust and worldliness. They were headed to hell. But in Acts 19, in Act, don't turn there, in Acts 19, we see their testimony, their salvation. They were practicing magic arts and God saved them by the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you remember this part of the story, they threw their books into the fire. It's a biblically sanctioned book burning. All right, 50,000 pieces of silver worth. 
These were devil-worshipping, immoral people who had been snatched from the brands, uh, like brands of fire from hell, and they had forgotten what God had saved them from. And they had drifted. And I got to just tell you, it happens with us, doesn't it? It's a slow process. That drift happens imperceptibly, but slowly we forget. We forget that we're sinners who are worthy of an eternal hell for our sins against the holy God. We forget that we were once disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, Titus 3. We forget that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2. We forget that we were sinners in the hands of an angry God, Jonathan Edwards. Somehow, we have forgotten that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died in our place. He had nails driven through his hands and feet. He was beaten, spit on, mocked, and murdered because of our sin. Hanging between earth and heaven from a cross of wood, naked and shameful for us. We forget that he bore our sins in his body on the cross, 1 Peter 2. We forget that on that cross he yelled out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was R.C. Sproul that recounts that right there is the scream of the damned for us. It is to remember that he endured an eternity of wrath from Almighty God that was intended for you. And so we cannot forget his final words. It is finished. A declaration that sin is paid for, that death is conquered, and that he is victorious. That he settled our debt, that he paid the price we couldn't pay. And here in Revelation 2, verse 5, he says, I want you to remember. I want to draw you back to that which is most important. Remember how great a salvation you have. Remember that you are no longer a prisoner of your sin, but that you are an adopted son or daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember. Why do you think he gave us communion? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24, Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Why did he give us communion? Because he knows that we're prone to forget. And we need a constant reminder in our life to draw us back to the primacy of our relationship with Christ. What about you? What pit did God pull you out of? What did he rescue you from? when he saved you. Have you forgotten those chains? Have you forgotten that bondage? That now you're free. That now you have nothing to fear because perfect love casts out fear. You have the hope of heaven, the relationship of peace and love with Jesus Christ, joy-filled life. But we forget and we drift. And so he says, remember what I've done and remember the deeds you did at first. Excuse me. He says, remember, yes. Then he says, repent. I'm getting sidetracked. And he says, repent there. Recognize this is sin. So let me say it this way. Repentance is to see what your sin is, right? To acknowledge it before God, to confess it, and then to leave it at the cross and turn and walk the other direction. When you were, became a Christian, you were walking this way, probably just like this heading down the pathway of unrighteousness, living in your flesh. In a moment, God saved you. He justified you, declared you righteous in the court of heaven. He turned you around. Repentance says, I now walk this way, the exact opposite. That's not my life anymore. I'm going this way. To repent is to leave the sin and to go a different direction. 
And he says here, to lose your first love is sin, okay? The de decreasing intensity of your love for Christ is sin. So let me help you with this. If you're feeling that you've left this and your heart is stirred right now, it's not, oh, I just feel really bad. No, you go to the foot of the cross to your Savior and you bow down and you ask for forgiveness and you repent of that as sin and you leave that sin there and you change. Tonight, in this moment, it happens. Some of you need to go to God tonight and get right. You've been adrift for too long. You haven't had a quiet time in a month. You can't sing with your heart. You're singing with your lips, but not your heart. Jesus says, remember and repent. Then he says, return. Remember, repent, and return. Look there at the end of verse six. Do the deeds you did at first. Do the deeds you did at first. Return. I, I want you to go back in your mind, Jesus is saying. When you were most excited about Christ, it was probably right after you were saved, possibly. Uh, you, you were sharing your faith, reading your Bible, communing with God in prayer. It didn't matter. You didn't know any better. You were just living large for Christ, right? You just, you had no social awareness. You're just like, I need to tell you about Jesus and you about Jesus. And here's my Bible. I'm going to read it and go for it. And I don't know, this is specific to you and your heart with Christ. What are those things? Think back to, to, to that closest point in your life with Christ. I, just for me, I remember being in high school. I had a big sheet of plywood about like three by three that my mom made stained for me. It was thin so I could put on my bed and make puzzles. <laughs> it's true. Okay. And I would make puzzles on my bed. Um, this was okay. But then when I got into high school <laughs> and God saved me, that became my, my desk, my study area. And I had books open on there. And I would study because I used to stay up until two o'clock in the morning. Every night is ridiculous. But I would study late at night in high school. And I, I remember um, sometimes with my books open, I would be in my room, this is embarrassing to admit, jumping up and down by myself because I was so excited about my faith in Jesus Christ. I don't think I've ever told anybody that part of the story. <laughs> have I? Megan will remember. I have, okay. I never told this group that. Um, but I just, that, I go back there because that to me defines this. What was it in your heart that held you so close you couldn't get enough, right? And maybe you're not dumb enough to be jumping up and down in your room by yourself, but you think back um, to when you had quiet times every day, to when you sang in the shower, um, to when you're singing in the car and that person looks at you and you're like, I got a Christian bumper sticker. I'm singing about Jesus, right? You don't even care. What does he say? Go back and do those deeds that you did at first. Remember and repent and return. Jesus says there, or else, look down at your Bibles, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. For just a minute, we come back up to the, to the bigger picture of what's happening here. The lampstand represents that specific church at Ephesus. Jesus is saying, if you don't turn, I will take the lampstand and the light away. 
okay? He's coming. That's judgment in terms of the church. Your church will be terminated. Here's the sad thing. Guess what? Ephesus is still there today. It's called something else. I don't know what it is. There is no church in that city. The Lord put that lampstand out. This is not the judgment um, of salvation. I could lose my salvation here. Truly saved, once saved, always saved. This is about being useful to him. This is about loving him. This is about being in, in priority relationship with him. And it's different when we're talking about the church in general. So let me just leave that one there. But we started with priority. We moved on to motive. And then thirdly, we just looked at the remedy. And now fourthly, really quick to finish this, what is the reward? What is the reward? And I know I said I was going short, but I got just a couple minutes left. Um, It says there in verse seven, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Interpretation in 2022, I don't know if this was 10, 20, 30 years ago from our game earlier. This is 2,000 years ago. What does it mean? Let him who has an ear, let him hear. It means this. I'm going to guess that you can figure it out. You need to listen. You, You don't just hear it. You need to take it in and understand it. You can't ignore this. This is spiritual and, and, and uh, excuse me, this is serious. And if you have spiritual ears, then you need to listen and you need to respond. This is not the type of message that you can just walk away from and go, well, I, was, I had such a good time tonight. That's great. Give me my coffee. This is the type of message that you have to come to your knees. That Jesus is calling and he wants your heart. And like I said, his name is jealous and he won't stop. He wants all of you. And if you've been going that way, it's time to go that way. Does that make sense? It's time to come back and fall in love with Christ. Like I said earlier, it's time to bleed, to get fresh and to get near to him. And he says there in seven, to him who overcomes, here's the actual reward. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Well, who is the one who overcomes? 1 John 5, 4 says that whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Here's what it is. You ready? The overcomer is the believer, the true Christian. To those who remain faithful, to those who overcome, their reward, he says there, is to eat the tree of life. Remember the Garden of Eden? We're going to talk about it on Sunday. You will have a front row seat because you've already heard the message once. But we're talking about Eden on Sunday. I'm preaching. Adam and Eve, it says there, right? Eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, verse 7. Well, this is a reference not just to Eden in the past. This is a reference to heaven in the future. Um, they sinned. Paradise was lost. But here Jesus promises that those who love him will eat from the same tree in the paradise of God, in his presence forever. Those who love Christ, whose life is marked by that love, will be granted life with Christ. So, it's worth it. It's worth it. There's a lot. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of dying to self. But Jesus is clear. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not uh, take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Being a Christian, let me come back to where I started at, is defined by one great reality. 
the Christian loves Jesus Christ with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. And Christ is calling for your love tonight. You have committed to him in the past. He wants you right now to be used by him, to love him, and to be in intimacy with him. So remember, repent, and return. I want to say one more word and we finish. If you are not a Christian, uh, we are so glad that you came. And I, and I just want to define for you, the Christian life is not about a list of do's and don'ts, rules and regulations, being a good person. It is a relationship with the Savior. It is so different from, from a joyless, rule-filled life. It's not religion, it's relationship. And we want to encourage you to ask more questions and maybe to come even tonight to an end of yourself and say, I want to have that same love relationship with Christ. How does that happen? We'd love to talk to you and explain what it means to become a Christian. All right, you've been good. Thank you for staying with me this whole time. Let's pray. We're going to sing again, then we'll be done.